Knockout Ginger, episode 20 with John Maharaj, incredible bass player, a pillar of the Toronto scene. I'm super stoked that he sat down to talk with me. Lots of bass stuff. Email me at knockoutginger at gmail.com. Don't add me to your mailing lists. For sure, cut that out. Thank you for listening. F all the haters. So is it recording? It is, yeah. Can I start by saying... Have fun with that. (laughs) Great. I, to, to be honest, I feel like this is coming. This this whole thing is like, you know, I feel like I really believe not to get all weird and shit, but I believe that there are no accidents and I'm just coming out of like a really dark, not really dark, but I just was not interested in music for about the last year mm-hmm. going up to about two months ago. I was sure that like once this show was over that I was going to get out, just sell the bases and just do anything else. Huh. Um, but I'm really, you know, something has changed. Well, I'll tell you what changed. Uh, I started going to therapy and I quit drinking alcohol and I've started listening to a lot of music all the time again and practicing a lot again. And so I'm like really excited about it again in almost like a childlike way. And I feel like that's what I was when I was younger. And that's what, you know, most musicians are, right? I mean, it's impossible. Maybe it's not impossible. Like I've met you know, we all know people who are exceptionally gifted, who are somehow always inspired. And I thought that was me, but that's clearly not me. Cause I, you know, when you're used to feeling that way and then you go through whatever stupid, that's not stupid. It's valid. Whatever I was going through, it feels like a doubly fucked because mm-hmm. like, I just was not, are we getting anything or is it all? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I just wasn't used to feeling unmotivated and lazy yeah. and uninterested about music like any kind of music and um so anyway that's i mean in terms of uh how does one uh integrate different bass players i mean when i was learning i mean i'm still learning i, I feel like i'm going through a thing right now where i'm, I'm just i'm i'm a student again which is really exciting because mm-hmm. i don't have pressure to produce results necessarily like playing improvised music right now because I'm not doing it very much right now. And when I do it, it's these moments that I get to choose and it's really exciting, but yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm not being held to any, there's no pressure on me to do that right now. So I can go back to ground zero and start developing again and really try to emerge as something new. But anyway, I had that same energy when I was learning and I just, you know, there's so many, I just in the city alone, right there, there is, there's a unique language that's based on, like anything proximity like yeah. what the shit the people were doing like basically you know the triumvirate of the guys who defined the bass sound would be like don steve and neil really it would have been don first and then neil coming out of that and then steve sort of coming out of that i guess i think that's chronologically how it worked mm-hmm. and i just thought it was really cool i mean when i was learning because those people were in the neighborhood right like i remember the first time i heard don thompson on the radio i would have been like I don't remember how old and I was like, wow. Cause you know how Don plays is such a unique thing. It's like that, 
that low actiony sort of Scott LaFaro thing, but kind of out of NHOP, but he's still you still hear air in it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I've like never heard anybody play the bass like that. And then I heard Neil and it was the same reaction. And then with Steve, it was like, oh, it's like because I came to Steve through Pat Collins. Well, you went to right? Yeah. So you know Pat. Yeah. So Pat was like my first bass teacher and he got his start, I believe, subbing for Steve. And so he was coming, he was like, I think that, and I mean, if Pat hears this, I mean, if I'm incorrect, I apologize, but what I got out of it was that I think Steve was like the link to Pat. Mm-hmm. And then so, you know, checking out Steve, like there's, Steve is basically coming out of Ray Brown and Leroy Vinegar and that sort of shit. I just think it's really cool. Like, yeah. you know, that there's so many different ways to skin a cat, you know? And then, you know, you get like the actual originators of jazz. And it's just fascinating. Like the lineage, the lineage of Blanton to Pettiford to Paul Chambers to like, and then how Ray Brown and Paul Chambers are contemporaries, but totally different and how they caught, you know, being so, I mean, I just, just as a, just as a dork, as a, fucking music nerd i just find that stuff in endlessly fascinating yeah. because it's all there on recordings for us mm-hmm. to do it and to find it out right and when you you know to learn it that way to learn how it sounds it's so exciting and when you hear like when you hear those players sort of imitating each other like the first taste of that was do you know and like look i'm just gonna straight up i love pat metheny don't love all his records i think pat Metheny's the fucking jam yeah I'm i think down. he's awesome i'm into it yeah great do you know the record i can see your house from here it's him and Schofield. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. right? And then, and uh, Bill Stewart and Steve Swallow. And on that record, because they were such fans of each other, like this was my brother um, used to play guitar and he got Who? really. Schofield and Matheny. Schofield and Matheny. They're clearly big fans mm-hmm. of each other. So on that record, they play like the tune, the red one, and they play like Message or Letter to a Friend. I can't remember what it's called. But there are moments where you can't tell who's soloing because they're sort of saluting each other or they're, they're just really so they're doing each other's shit yeah and that sort of was like you know i thought that was really exciting and then you hear on other records like when players kind of do that i don't know i think that's what's so exciting about yeah jazz is that it is completely limitless you know what i mean i do yeah so i don't know yeah that's a really again convoluted <laughs> tangent no no it's good answer it's good. to a question that wasn't even asked but <laughs> we, we like tangents okay here. thank christ because <laughs> well, you've come to the right place <laughs> um it's interesting that you uh so you mentioned steve or steve wallace uh ray brown and leroy vinegar mm-hmm. the first thing the first things that pat had me transcribe were ray brown and leroy vinegar there you go yeah 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 i mean it's all there right like it's i mean who were your early influences why the hell are you playing upright bass uh i think the first time that i kind of came in backwards so like uh there's this great swedish hardcore band called refused okay and they have a record called the shape of punk to come okay and then from there, I sort of accidentally found the shape of jazz to come. Right. So uh, Charlie Hayden was probably the first person that like, was like, what the right. fuck is this? Yeah. Because before then, I, I just heard like the odd Oscar Peterson thing. Sure. Probably. So the difference between Charlie and Ray Brown on the Oscar things that I've heard, it's... Yeah. Drastically It's different. barely even the same instrument. Yeah. 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 So... 
I kind of came in that way. And then uh, through Pat, I was sort of pushed towards, not pushed, encouraged to look at, to check out more Ray Brown and more Paul Chambers. Mm -hmm. And then I think mostly, I'm mostly excited by Jimmy Garrison. Oh, yeah. I think. Okay. That's like my... For me, I think him and Reggie are like the two end-all, be-alls for me. Right. Um, so but, what's your what's your number one Jimmy Garrison record? Like, what's the one that you go back to? That's so tough. Pro- I, honestly, probably Love Supreme. Okay. It's just probably... It's pretty badass, yeah. Like, and the two new ones. Yeah, just I just checked out, those out, yeah. Like, hearing him so clearly yeah. is just like sure it's like coltrane we get more coltrane yeah like what comes with that the new jimmy i've just been so blown away i feel like and correct me because if you i'm not a jimmy garrison scholar he he was like he wasn't one of my main ones but i feel like there's there's some sort of connection between i mean i specifically like ballad playing like is there a similarity between jimmy garrison but and like Scott LaFaro and Mingus, do you hear that, or am I just imagining this? Uh, uh, how do you? Where did you? I don't know. You know, I think it was listening to Coltrane ballads and listening to what Jimmy Garrison plays on that. It was. I was. I kind of like. You know, I might have been stoned though. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I, <laughs> I had a revelation. It's yeah. like, oh my god. Yeah. Even Scalafaro are basically the same guy. <laughs> Maybe I should listen again. These Doritos are amazing. <laughs> like, so you know, I, I yeah. don't know how, know how much uh, credit I should give to that. But there um, is the. But also, I can't I honestly can't remember the last time I listened to Coltrane ballads. So, okay. Uh, but there is the lineage of like Scott Lafaro. There are two stories with Scott Lafaro and. Mingus and Scott LaFaro and Red Mitchell. Okay. And it was right when I think Mingus and Red Mitchell both figured out how to play with two fingers. Okay. Around the same time. Right. And this is how Scott LaFaro figured it out by seeing them. Okay. I could have that wrong. Maybe. All the stories kind of blend together. It's all, yeah, it's all one story. It's all. (laughs) (laughs) But I think there, there, so there's probably like the lineage of Scott LaFaro coming from Mingus. I would assume. Right. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. Because he was, he was about 10 years younger than Mingus, was he not? Oh. I mean, he died so young, right? He died like 25, so it's yeah. kind of all bets are off. If he was 25 and 61, maybe he was only like five years younger than Mingus or something. He may, I mean, how old was Mingus on Blues and Roots? That was like 56. You can look it up. You got the magic box. If only there was some <laughs> wallet-sized device that fit into your pocket that had yeah. access to the entire history of humanity. If only, if only somebody would invent such a thing, they'd be, they'd have thousands of dollars. So, Blues and Roots was fifty-nine. Fifty-nine. Oh fuck! Never mind then. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Released in sixty. Oh jeez. And because I know the Vanguard was sixty one, unless I'm totally insane. No, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. Recorded in sixty, though. 
I think. Was it? But released in 61. Couldn't th- tell you. I think. Couldn't tell you. Uh, and Mingus was born in... Se- oh, he died in 79. It's like that. He was be- born in 79. What? <laughs> born in 1922. Okay, so yeah, no, no. Because he would have been almost 40. Well, he was only like then maybe 10, 15 years older. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's enough. At that age, that's a big gap. Yeah. So, have, have you read the Scott LaFaro book? No, I have not. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a good book. Okay. But there's lots of lots of stuff in cool there. Cool stuff in it. Yeah. The Paul Chambers one is kind of. Have you read the 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 Paul? It's like no. it. It's basically just. I mean, I don't want to, you know, slag a book that's been published. I mean, I haven't published a book, so what do I know? But it's kind of it's 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 just not great. Mm. It's not it's not a great yeah. jazz biography. It's it's not the best. Re- and like as as a huge Paul Chambers fan, I was like, you know, I got it for Christmas a couple of years ago. I was like, all right, and I'm reading it. I'm like, yeah, I I read these liner notes too. Like, I, I don't know. like, <laughs> yeah, really? Like, come on, yeah. The cool thing about the LaFaro book is that his sister wrote it. Oh, wow. So there's lots of, like, really cool stories. But I'm, she, I, don't, I don't know how much writing she's done okay. in her life, you know. Okay. So it's a little, little rough around the edges? Could be, maybe. Yeah. Cool. All right. I don't know. Check that out. Not my words. <laughs> Not your words. Just, <laughs> just words. Just words flying around the room. Who's saying what? I don't know. We're just feeling so free yeah. drinking this blonde roast. Anything could happen. Um, when you, so you, you grew up in Mississauga? Yeah. yeah. I grew up in a place called Meadowvale, which is like the northwest corner of Mississauga. It's like, if you went any further north, you'd be in Brampton, west, you'd be in Milton. Uh, is Uh, that like close to Streetsville? Yes. It's right beside Streetsville. Cool. Yeah. Streetsville is kind of cool and quaint and old Meadowvale is kind of cool and quaint. That's where Pat Collins lives now. Mm. Um, before he lived in like uh, like sort of central Mississauga. When I first started taking lessons, he was in central Mississauga, and then I had stopped, and I started again. And he was in Meadowvale, so it was like, you know, super mm-hmm. close to my house. It was amazing. I could cut school and go for lessons. Great. But yeah, that's where I'm from. Just um, not a lot going on there. I mean, there might be now. I don't know, but at the time, there was just not much know. happening. Uh, so when you kind of transitioned into whatever like toronto life Mm -hmm. what were like your first gigs first gigs like how did that happen how did this all start it all started um geez i don't know like the first couple musicians i met do you know uh matt stevens matthew stevens is he yeah yeah so i met him and jamie reynolds piano player the same week at this uh, rhythm section workshop that I went to, I was in. I was after they were finishing grade ten. I was finishing grade eleven, mm. and it was at um, an educational institution. I'm going to save you the bleeping. <laughs> and uh, and who was teaching there? It was like Lorne, Mike Downs, Barry Elms, and Gary Williamson. And it was a week long intensive thing. And I met those guys there. And then you know we sort of hit it off, but you know they were already best buds, and so I didn't really see them again until they started at the educational institution where I received a bachelor's and um, yeah. And so like I, I met them was playing with them a bit. And then I guess just a lot of, it was a lot of subbing for, and, and playing with um, P 
people in my year mm-hmm. and then like just sort of meeting other people and um subbing for the teachers and then playing with some of the teachers like um like the fact that I'm involved in musical theater right now is can all be traced back to Dave Young. He was my teacher in first and second year because um do you know Mike McLennan? Wonderful bass player in town, another amazing bass player I, in town. I don't. Um he's he's doing he's been in Stratford for a while now. Um great bass player. He's he's um so he needed a sub for like a show that was in Sterling, Ontario, which is like near Belleville. This would have been so this would be like 20 years ago. And um, and so he called Dave Young. He was like, do you have any students who can sight read? Because it, was, it wasn't it was a great gig and he wasn't going to be able to call anybody else to drive that far out for what the bread was. Mm-hmm. But he knew that he could get a student to do it. And so I did it. And then I met people who were sort of in the scene. And then I sort of, like it went well, my first show. And then it sort of snowballed over a couple decades into, and there have been years where I didn't do any of the theater thing and I thought it was over for me and then well here I am but um but other gigs it's just yeah I'm playing with people I wasn't really the hot shot bass player when I was in school um I went to school with uh, you know Mike Smith bass player banjo player uh muskox uh does he play in eucalyptus yes Brody? Yeah, yeah 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 so Mike was the other bass player and um and he was definitely more in demand than I was um which at the time I was kind of bummed out about, but it, for me it was good because, I mean, he was a better musician, so that's good. Yeah. He should have been doing more of the stuff. I mean, it made sense. And uh, it just sort of gave me more time to just sort of get mm-hmm. my shit together that I clearly needed to, you know. And then that was it. And, you know, do that for a couple of decades and things build up and you're almost... 40 all of a sudden and wonder how the hell it all happened i mean i wish i could paint a clearer picture there was no yeah. the only plan was to like try and play really well and try not to fuck up on the gig yeah to be honest like it's the, and no matter what the gig was you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i don't know i mean i wish yeah i wish i had a clearer clearer explanation of how it all happened but i think just like perseverance and i lived in new york briefly like you were there for a couple years you did correct or so you did uh... (laughs) (laughs) i was there for five years five years okay jesus christ okay where where did you live i lived in mostly bushwick nice man or not i don't know Uh, yeah i was at flatbush lefferts gardens i I really loved it there so yeah it's cool i i think just mostly uh cost of living Mm mm-hmm uh in comparison to the the joy of being in new york is just doesn't make any sense to me um but like so much cool shit like yeah being there like there'd be months at a time where i'd be like what why am i here yeah and then a month go by where i'm like doing cool shit every day Mm -hmm. and i'm like yes this is why i'm here but yeah just doesn't i don't know i'm pretty stoked on toronto right now specifically like i left because i maybe the ignorance of just being a young musician but i was kind of like i don't know about this for me kind of thing yeah but you gotta follow that man now i'm like this is the place yeah i mean toronto like you know it's it's become fashionable for young people to shit on toronto to which i say fuck that um 
But there's so much going on here. There's so many... There's so many amazing players in different scenes. And what I like about Toronto that you can't do in New York is like, I feel like in Toronto, I can live in different scenes Mm -hmm. and it's cool and it's, and it's okay. Whereas like, cause Toronto is just the perfect size city to do that. It's big enough that there's stuff always going on, but it's small enough that it's, there aren't these pockets of hundreds of musicians that never interact with each other because yeah. there's just so many people, right? Mm-hmm. And I like that. Mm-hmm. And I obviously like living in Canada. I mean, you know, the United States uh, on paper is is amazing. Uh, but, you know, I just, right now, I, 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 I'm glad I don't live there right now. And I, I kind of felt like that was sort of coming down the pipe when I was there. And I don't know. I mean, when did you leave? Uh, a year ago. I came back in August of... But you had been commuting then or something because you, you've been you've been I've around. been like bouncing around. Yeah, but, okay. But like officially, I put my stuff in storage in August of I last see. summer. Okay. Um, is that right? So you would have left when yeah. uh, when DT was uh, driving the bus, as in the Donald. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was like, I still had a. When he got elected, I still had like my day job down there and everything. I was sure. pretty, pretty locked in yeah. at that point. It was dark. I bet. Uh, I came in, so uh, I go into work the next day, and like, literally, people people in the office are crying. Yeah, just like sobbing. Yeah, and it was also like kind of almost on at, on that day when they were like, there were like rumblings of, I don't know, like what are we gonna do with you now? Because right. your visa is right. almost kind of up. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Dark days. It's crazy. Like, when I was there, it was George W. Who knew that he'd wind up being the red herring? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who could have called that? Yeah. What a mess. <laughs> Such excellent writing, you know? Yeah. He truly seemed like the villain, but... Wow. <laughs> Who knew that eight years later, people would be like talking about, oh, you know, he wasn't so bad. Yeah. It's like, he's wow. painting now. Yeah. Yeah. He's painting. He's a good yeah. guy. Solid guy. I mean. So five years. So. Yeah. I mean. It's different there. You know, like it's. Yeah. It's different. There are total pros and cons for sure. I I, I think if it was like. I think, honestly, at the end of the day, it comes down to living expenses. Yeah. And I think if it was a more reasonable, if you, if it was just more reasonable to live there, yeah. I think I'd probably still be there. Yeah. As like a, I'm glad I'm here and I think I'm happier here than I would have been there, but yeah. I don't think I would have been like totally, all right, get me out of here. Yeah. In that mode, I would still be, still be like drinking the jazz disneyland kool-aid or whatever what's you know i think david burns said it's just become a complete it's a playground for the rich right like totally when i was there my rent was 450 bucks a month on Mm. it and it was a two bedroom it was really one bedroom but my room was the living room we put a door on it it was like an l-shaped thing so it was like it was a two bedroom yeah and that's like you know but i I mean it was for me like a big thing it was a lot of things but it was like um my wife who at the time was my girlfriend i just it became clear when i was there it was like 
this is not going to work if I stay here mm -hmm. just for her work, her career that she's pursuing. And I was like, and I don't, I was like 27 or something, maybe. I was just like, I don't know if I want this badly enough to give up everything else. Right. Because, you know, you go there and you see like some 18-year-old kid playing things on the base that you couldn't even imagine, right? Mm -hmm. And you realize that there's like 20 of those kids around. Yeah. And they're being propped up by their communities and like everything. And they've made their family. Like, so it's like, I have no chance against that. Like I'm... It's already over for me. And it's like, I've got to really love this to be here. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, it's like, yes, I love this. But I don't know if I have it. Because I'm not like a late night jam session guy. Mm -hmm. I've never been. I go out till four in the morning type thing. Like, that's just not, that's not me. Yeah. And that's a big part of the hang, right? Yeah. It's it's what it is there. And I just. Yeah. That's, I, I think know. that's maybe what I miss the most. Right. Just that like late night always hanging sort of thing yeah uh but yeah so what did you move down there for like how did you make that work i got a study grant study with drew grass sweet and then i studied with him and then i had like a lesson with matt brewer and ben street and scott collie as well Cool. it was great it was all so good uh, each of those guys had different things to offer completely different things to mm -hmm. offer and um I still think of those things and try to, I'm still working through a lot of the things right now. Like I come back to yeah. a lot of the material and it's excellent. And it's just, it was just so eye opening. just to, again, like those four, just those four players are so different, completely different concepts of what the instrument is and, and seeing Matt Brewer like, and, and studying with him, that, that really fucked me up because like, you know, he was, it was like, he was a couple years, he is a couple years younger than me, and he was just playing shit on the bass. And I was just like, this is insane with, with this guy. And this is like then, this is like, you know, 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. And every time I hear him on something, like on a recording, or, you know, I heard him with Chris Potter at the jazz festival here, he's just playing electric and like eating it for breakfast. And then like, any records that he's on like a, i'm just like this guy's just like this, this new the new steve layman one that he's on oh uh, i haven't heard that it's the steve layman trio plus craig taborn okay and it just for me it's like everything that i love about his playing just like yeah cranked up it's like a it's not like a i think a non-bass player would hear it and maybe not even notice it's yeah. like one of those like yeah it's like a sleeper bass record it's so good yeah yeah he's unbelievable yeah. man like it's just all so good and so clean but sounds good mm -hmm. but also like you know like if he never took a soul ever again he would still be a fucking awesome bass yeah. player like his feel and everything it's just so driving and like it's i so love good. it one of those bass players that can like even hardly play any notes and still drive yeah yeah, he's got something, man. He's um, you know. Anyway, yeah. yeah so that's that's what it was for me. It was just a, it was a grant, and then, um, and then like towards the end of it, I just realized that I was like, this is not. It was hard because well, Matt Stevens and Jamie Reynolds yeah. were my best friends, and they were there, and they were not coming back to Canada, and so I realized I had to like, like this paradise that I had had for like 
it was like maybe 10 months, I knew that that was it. Yeah. Like, we were not going to ever live in the same city again. And it was sad, you know what I mean? Because like, and, uh, but I mean, you know, we're, we're all still friends. Like, it's just, you know, the hang was so, it was just, it was a really good time musically and personally, but it just wasn't, wasn't my real life. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there was no way to, for those guys, you know, everybody's different. You know, some people have like a safety net, like family wise or whatever, like somebody can bail them out if shit goes south. And I just have never had that. And so, you know, they used to give me shit about like, oh, Maharaj, like you're so anal. Like, why are you so like freaked out about it? And it's like, dude, like if I fuck this up, like it's like, like I'm, I have nothing. There's nobody there's yeah like i you know i have my mom but like she wasn't and isn't in a position to like bail me out you know what i mean Mm -hmm. or anything like that and so i just couldn't i i knew that i just couldn't i i I wasn't like a virtuoso on that level where i knew i would be okay like i had so much work to do and i knew there would be so many years of struggle and hearing those people who had that thing at that point i was like I'm glad that I know I knew what that was then and I could sort of reach for it, but mm-hmm. I just knew that at that time I didn't have that. And so, and I also couldn't, wouldn't have been with Kathleen. So I was like, Oh, fuck it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So all, all like important things, I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't regret it. Yeah. I think about it sometimes, uh, longingly. I haven't been back in like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause I've been, I've always got shit going on here, which is great. I mean, I'd like to go back. I don't want to go back while DT is in power um, out of principle. But man, I'd love to. I feel like now I, I, I get music better than I did when I was there. So I'd really like to go and hear tons of shit now because I feel like I appreciate it a lot more than I did then. Mm-hmm. I could really, really do it right this time, if it makes sense. Yeah. But not really. I mean, I got a kid. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm not moving there. <laughs> that shit is over but like you know just to like hang out for a few days and, yeah. and just hear some stuff and like really also it's you know i've got this competitive streak that i'm really learning to tone down over the last few years um i have a competitive streak within me where it's like even people i should not be competing with it's like i feel like like other bass players mm. how stupid is that i feel like it's like we should all be we're on the same team we all want the same thing yeah but you know, now that that's mellowing, hopefully it's with age or maybe it's with like actually, you know, thinking about stuff or whatever. Um, I feel like I would be better there because if you got the competitive thing there and you're there, you're always losing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, on my street, who lived on my street? Um, of course, I'm, of course, basically. <laughs> um, uh, Marco Panacea? Yeah. He lived on my street. So did Matt Penman. I wasn't even the best bass player on my block. I was like maybe maybe 10th to 20th down the list. On my street. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay? That's a crazy thing, yeah. Like, so, that now doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Now, to me, that's like, that's a source of great inspiration to just get a, a beating. Mm-hmm. you know but not a beating but just like to see what people can do see what's possible and that to me is like a mm-hmm. gift and that's really special at the time i wasn't as mature 
not that I'm mature now, but I'm more than I was then. But if that's the metric, we're in pretty rough shape. Um, I wasn't in a position to appreciate appreciate things as beautiful. I saw things as something to overcome. Mm. You know, which yeah. I'm really, really trying. I'm doing work on just getting over that. You know, because it's not helpful, right? At all yeah. anymore. But it's hard. I mean, I, yeah. do you have that? Like, what's? I don't. I think. It, I think usually I don't. Okay. And especially being here, I feel like there's not, I mean, there are a ton of bass players here. So many, man. <laughs> but there are, fucking insane. there are less than New York. Yeah. For sure. And I feel like maybe it's just like I'm older now and my ears are, have opened up, but mm-hmm. I definitely feel like there are not many of us that sound the same yeah in the city right now it's true so in, like in that way it's like there i feel like there's even less competition that way yeah and i'm excited to hear all the bass players and like when i play there's bass players and when i go to shows i'm sitting with bass play yeah. like i just feel like it's a toronto is very uh, conducive to being like on team bass player, yeah. I think for me, there's um, a lot of really good young people now too, man. There's like, well, there's Johnny Chapman. Do you know, have you heard him? Yeah. And, um, do you know Thomas Hainbuck? I'm teaching him. He's real. I, t- I, I taught him when he was in first year and this, like he's, he's really gone the bebop route, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't normally be so excited about it, except he's learned that language so thoroughly that it's like in lessons i i kind of like and i hope thomas you listen to this because i mean i've told you this but like i kind of just like it because i i kind of just like listening to him play so i can steal his shit (laughs) nice because it's like he's got that language down so much more thoroughly than i ever did it's just it's again it's like i wouldn't for me i wouldn't want to play like that not that i don't think it's amazing but i love hearing him do it because it's so authentic Mm. do you know what i mean and you don't really hear as many young like 20 year old players who have really invested time in like language and it's like you know that's not what the end product is going to be but it's i think i I, it's really i feel like it's a really exciting time for me to be his quote-unquote teacher Mm because i get to be there while he's transitioning from this thing because i remember being really obsessed with like the bebop thing too yeah and thinking that like you know playing stuff that works on changes was the only the only path and getting really obsessed with that and i don't feel that way anymore and i don't think he feels that way but he really invested a lot of i can't speak for him i wouldn't even want to um but he's clearly invested a lot of time into getting this thing authentic and it's just it's it's really exciting to me man because it's like like i you know Anyway, there are a whole bunch of young players who are coming up with that super straight ahead thing, which again, like, I mean, I'm not, I have mixed feelings about it because it's like, to you know, essentially it's, it's, it's you know, you're playing things that already exist mm-hmm. that somebody else invented. So it's, it, it, it's not as spontaneous or fresh on one hand, but on the other hand, it still sounds really good. Yeah. And it feels good. And it's like, 
and I and I so admire the process of like of investigating it to that depth mm-hmm. to be able to recreate it. You know what I mean? So definitely in the way that I've just seen people uh, dig into this music and change as they age yeah. is like. So I don't want to like not where he, what he's doing is i mean he's a great player mm-hmm. i've heard him um but often these the people in my life who started that way often end up being the most wild and outrageous yeah. out there players totally so that could yeah who knows what's going to happen that should be interesting well i feel like you know having gone through that and always coming back to that for yeah. me if i'm going to come back to anything it's going to be i shit you not playing like diatonic children's songs and Christmas songs in random keys, or mm-hmm. I'm going to come back to just like, I'm going to go in on, on language. Yeah. And, um, I feel like it gives, it, it just, it, it provides such a strong foundation of like, let's strip away all the bullshit. Here's how it works. This is what works on this. Here's why it works. Here's the formula. And so you're just kind of like, it's like you're learning these moves and you're just executing them over and over again. You're, you're, you're practicing like different poses, I guess, mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And the control you get from that is invaluable, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it does, it informs everything else. Like, if I choose to like take a major left turn when I'm playing, I feel like I'm more grounded in that because it's like I my feet are always firmly planted on the ground and it's like I'm just like whipping something up but the whip just keeps getting longer but I'm more grounded in the in the I'm, my feet are always on the ground so I can always come back right and then I feel like the 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 firmer this is like the worst metaphor ever I don't know it might be I'm glad it's being recorded I feel just like the more control I have over that the further out I can go because I always know how to get home yeah like does that make sense it's, yeah totally um and so, yeah, I mean, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I think it's really cool working with Thomas or even just hanging out with him, just like, and he's, he's hit me some, to some records and, you know, some of them I've been super into, some of them I haven't, but it's like, it's new for me, Yeah, you know, and it's exciting. Like, I feel like this is this year and like i'm not blowing smoke up his ass like so thomas like still practice your shit for next week (laughs) but like you know i feel like it's like maybe this is what teaching is in some utopia it's like actually an exchange of ideas Mm -hmm. um i don't know and it's it's cool and i think that there's there's a lot of young people like that like and it's exciting it's exciting and then realizing that like i'm the age that a lot of our teachers were when they started teaching me and i'm like wow i'm not the young hot chick guy anymore like that that is way in the past like that's you know i'm just some other old fart yeah you know i don't think that's true but if you do the math man i mean like how old are you can i ask 30 you're 30 yeah okay so you're still young that's 30s young man i don't know yeah, 30s young. I'm 38. I'm going to be 40 in about 14 months. Huh. So I'm like no spring chicken anymore. Like But also, you're still like You're like half the age 
of bass players that I'm listening to now. True. So like, yeah. So like grand scheme of things, but I'm just talking in terms of like to be younger. There's, there's more, there's more hype and there's more energy around young people. People are more excited to hear young cause they're new and everything. Yeah. Whereas like, I'm just, and I, you know, I feel like I was that for a bit, like when I was like 20 and like doing a bunch of shit, but now it's like, you know, it's, <laughs> nobody's impressed by my same sad shit anymore it's just like ah oh, fuck him. you've been doing that for 20 years you bastard it's like oh yeah i guess you're right you know it's 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 just funny it's funny being on the other side of the age thing and it's like and i'm and i'm into it again it's like i, I like i think getting older is pretty awesome yeah except for you know my body slowly falling apart that's a drag but um everything else is pretty great yeah like you know i don't want to throw out numbers here and do it. Throw out them numbers. Call anyone out, but call call I think out. Kieran is. Oh, dude, you do you know how, you'd be shocked. I know. You know. Yeah, he maybe he's sounding better than ever, honestly. And that that the like, thing about know? Kieran is he's just the fucking man. Like, yeah, he, he's and he's funny because you know, like he can be and Kieran again. If you're listening to this, uh, you know this is true. Like he can be quite hard on himself. But he always sounds amazing. He Incredible. Always sounds amazing. Like yeah. sound, always. Feel, just like overall musicality. And again, like it's funny, like mentioning the Toronto Lineage of Bassist, I totally forgot about Kieran. Why? Because he's such a good bass player, you don't even notice him. Do you know what he, I mean? Like he just is playing perfect bass. So always. it's like, yeah. oh yeah, whatever. Even a bass player, I'm just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, that's great. His, uh, whatever we like to call it like not quite like broken feel yeah not too whatever yeah. whatever we say i feel like he's got the most insane unique broken feel like yeah if i could sound like one thing forever for yeah. the rest of my life it might be kieran over's broken yeah feel. it's, it's like, also like his ra- his choice of range which i feel like really matters like it's a yeah. big thing like thumb position is cool is it? But to play a whole solo in some position is is the equivalent of a tenor player playing an entire solo in altissimo. Yeah. It's like nobody except other people who play that instrument are impressed with how high you can play that instrument. Mm. And so I feel like Kieran, his choice of range, it's like, it's a little thing, but it matters because he's always playing the instrument where it sounds the best which is how to play an instrument, right? Yeah. Like every instrument is, has its strengths and weaknesses, but if you can figure out the things it does best and exploit them, then you're going to sound amazing because you're, you're, you're doing exactly what the instrument wants you to do. You're making the bass happy. If you play it in the middle register, mm-hmm. it's going to love you. It's going to do exactly what you want because that's where it was designed to be played. And I feel like he gets that musically. Like that's why he always sounds good because mm-hmm. he's, and it's not that he's not playing in thumb position sometimes. It's not that he's not sometimes playing super low. But it's like, does it sound crazy in terms of like just nope. the range thing? Like, I feel really passionately about this that it's like. I think, no, I think. Right I in the middle, yeah. like where the tone is the best. And that's where he lives. Yeah. And, and then when he. And then when he does go low. Yeah. It's just like. It has drama. Yeah. It. it just and when he so goes impact. high, it has drama. Yeah. Because you just you haven't been listening to, you know, thirty seconds of 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 what sounds like a, a 
possibly an out of tune cello. Like yeah. you know what I mean? You're <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. When he's like, oh, Kieran Nerd Out Festival, but when he's like in the middle range and he's walking, and then he drops down to like the G area on the E string, yeah, and he walks by sliding without walking. Yeah. It's just like yeah, the whole world open. Like we get into like outer space. Yeah, it's. He, but all that stuff, it's like, he gets how the instrument works. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he really gets it on a visceral level. Yeah. He blows my mind, honestly. And I spent two years studying with him at Buck. And uh, I kind of wish I got it more. Right. While I was with, like, I... It felt like we just hung out. Yeah. I got a lot from it, but, like, Knowing what I know now, there's so many more questions I would have, like, yeah. I don't know. It's always the way, though, man. Yeah. Like, I feel that literally about every single person I've studied with, where mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, if I wasn't just such a fucking idiot, yeah, I would have made the most out of this. And, you know, I think that's, that's just part of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he's he's a badass. Have, and you've played, like, his, his new... Yeah. That bass is unbelievable, man. Like his, the one that Steve built. Yeah. It's crazy. So like he had that amazing bass for so many years. I like the new one more though, man. I I think maybe me too. But like (laughs) when he got that bass, his playing like dramatically changed. Yeah. Like it's just crazy how little things can make incredible players that much more incredible. Yeah, that that instrument is like, and I'm it's I'm not saying oh it's the instrument. Uh, no, I'm good actually, or I'm gonna start rushing like a motherfucker when I have to play tonight. Um, oh, what time is your? What, oh, I got a I've got an eight o'clock show, so I'm I'm good for a bit, and then I'm gonna go and eat dinner and yeah. get in the costume and all that shit. Um, what are we talking about, Kieran? Kieran? Amazing bass. Oh yeah, I'm not gonna say it's the instrument that makes him great, but like that bass man, when he got like when. That that's just that's a really that's that is a really special instrument. Yeah. Like, and I love that that was like sort of Steve's swan song was like, because you know he retired shortly after that, mm-hmm. and but that and I, I tried to get Steve to restore my bass because my bass is very similar. It's like a German shop bass, same as Kieran's, right? I was like, Steve, so do you, you maybe want to you know like <laughs> how how much would you charge me to do a restoration? Because I want my bass like to be like that. Yeah, and he's just like, I'm not going to do it. He just didn't like my bass. And what he said to me, he's like, your bass is good for you. But I'm not really, I was like, oh, that's like, man, that's like, that's like getting turned down for like a date. It's like, no, no, no. I think you're, you're great. You're great. (laughs) But I just think that, you know, I'm just not feeling it. And so maybe we could just hang out sometimes, but you know, like, I don't want it to. Yeah. That's what Steve did to me. That was the last time I talked to him. That's cool. I had no hard feelings. Yeah, if I, I'm going to get turned down, I may as well be by Steve. So, I also didn't mean to imply that it's the instrument that makes. No, you're not at all. But you're like, not at all. Uh, my my just point was like, once you're at an incredible level, yeah, the slightest thing can just like, yeah, knock you in a in totally. the right direction. You know. Um, have you heard Have you heard Ben Dwyer play? Yes. So I heard him play with his dad Phil yeah. at the Emmet. And this is like a whole other weird backwards thing. Like I heard him and at moments I was like, oh my God, it's Pat. Yeah. 
it's Pat Collins yeah. playing. Yeah, that makes sense though, yeah. because like in terms of geography, yeah. like he grew up where Pat grew up. And they, I mean, I think he went to high school with Phil, right, or something. They were playing yeah, they played together like yeah, way forever. back in the day. Yeah, and I mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, like, look to, to me, Phil Dwyer is one of the greatest musicians I've ever heard or played with. Full stop. Mm. And so, like, if, you know, and I'm not saying that, like, <laughs> I'm not going to be so bold or ignorant as to say, like, oh, Ben, well, you just, you were born with it because yeah. of your dad, like, because that's stupid and insulting. Um, But I think growing up around that is, uh, what is that? Spring? Oh, is this, that's not alcohol, is it? No. Okay, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll try it. Thanks, There's man. There's a lime one, too. Do you want oh, no, the plain one's good. Thank you so much. Um, I think growing up around, you know, that couldn't, couldn't hurt, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, but I mean, again, like, so yeah, so you got like, there's so many young players in their, in their twenties who are just like killing it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like, I mean, I, I, I find it like, I don't know, do you find, I, I find it intimidating the young people. Cause I'm just like, cause they're way ahead of where I was at that age. And I'm just like, man, like you, I don't even want like in lessons with Thomas or like, you know, I had a gig and, you know, John Chapman showed up and cause he was playing after and like, it's like these young fucks, man. It's just like, I, I don't even want to, what am I going to, I'm going to just do my same old shit, man. It's like, I, I, and that's weird. Like that's my own thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, I'm both excited and terrified because I feel like they're, they're coming to the conclusion at like 22 that I didn't come to until I was like 36 you know, and so I'm like, where's it going to go? Like, where, where's it going to go? It's going to, it's going to go somewhere. It's going to be yeah. someplace really cool. But yeah. Like, wow. But like, also like the more, for me, it's like, it's way more exciting than it is. Uh, terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's also terrifying though. Like, yeah. But good terrifying. I yeah. Think. I mean, I yeah, like, I feel like right now I'm, I'm in a very lucky position where I don't necessarily need to worry about hustling gigs and stuff right mm-hmm. now, which on the one hand, it's, it's like, it let me get pretty soft for about a year, but on the other hand, sorry, what did you say? You've been, I mean, it sort of gets soft. Like, you know, like when you're not in peak oh, yeah. physical okay, yeah, yeah. or mental or musical shape, mm-hmm. like I, I got soft, fuck, I'll admit it. Um, I am soft. That's my uh, that's my mo. That's your mo. Is yeah. your soft? <laughs> wow, man. Pitch is an illusion. Pitch is an illusion. Pitch is pitch is a construct, man, by the patriarchy. <laughs> it's all bullshit, man. You just you just you know regurgitating what you've been told. Um, but uh, I don't know what I was saying. I feel like now I because I I don't. You had a day job in New York, right? Mm-hmm. I, I haven't had that. And so for me, the music has always been tied into like making a living. Yeah. It's always been that, right? Since I was 18 was when I had my last job. And on one hand, that's good. But on the other hand, it really, it fucks up your value system because you start to equate, you know, like, am I am I a good musician? I must be if I'm providing for my family or I must be a shitty musician if if I didn't have gigs that paid a lot. And like, 
you know, I'm so lucky now to have a gig that sort of takes care of that. It's like when I go and hear music, it's like I get honestly, and I know it's it's my own thing, and and I know where it comes from, like the way I grew up, and it comes from just like you know things were pretty tight for a long time growing up, and it's fine, it's cool. People do a lot more with a lot less, but it's always been tied into that and having to prove something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas now that's sort of been lifted, and so it's like I kind of like music a lot more because that part of me doesn't really associate with creative music at all and it's purely because i'm i'm just i got a horseshoe up my ass right now and um so yeah i mean it's weird it's like i like music more than i ever did because i don't have to put that thing that business thing on it yeah like when i go out to hear creative music it's like i can just like and when i play it it's like i don't know man it's hard to describe i know exactly what you mean though because I've just been fucking working for like 20 years. You yeah. know what I mean? Like ugh, doing it, playing yeah. gigs and bringing home the bacon, all that shit, <laughs> yeah. right? Because I'm like old enough to have seen the end of that era in our teachers. Like when there was still, like I'm actually just old enough to have done a couple of those CBC sessions when they still existed. And all that shit where it was like, there was a culture of working musicians in yeah. the city. Like, you know what I mean? I like know. that yeah. thing. And that's what I sort of started out around, and yeah. that sort of carried over even as the reality of what it was changed, and it 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 kind of messed me up. My whole value system, my whole value system, got completely fucked mm. up. And that's nobody. That's my own. That's not. I don't blame anybody else for that. That's not. That's just circumstance and my own leanings based on upbringing and genetics. So yeah. it's like, you know. But I don't even know where this this is going. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, music uh, is good. Music is good. Too bad you need to make money to live. The show's come from away for anybody who's listening and doesn't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> this is, you may have heard about it. It's a show, a little show about Newfoundland, and it doesn't matter. I'm a horrific interviewer. I no, 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 you're not. That. No, we're, we're, I've been sort of dancing around it myself. Um, so we were the first time they had ever... So they, they the Broadway company had two years to get it. We had mm-hmm. about a month. And we were just... Because they had created it and perfected it, and they became what it was. And then they said, okay, we got a template. Now you guys do this. Mm. And... The feeling, so when we got there, we realized it was already sold out in Winnipeg. And then when we were there, people were just hearing all these rumors, like the advanced sales in Toronto, like we're insane. Like it was sold out, sold out. A 1,235 seat theater was sold out for the first year that we ran. They opened up standing room seats because every fucking seat was taken by people. What? That's That's crazy. That is so crazy. Like, I mean... And we're still, we went through a slump like last week where we had a couple shows where we were at like 90% and we're back. We're back to being sold out. For, that is crazy. It's crazy. Like if you take, I don't know, like anything, like what else, when else does that happen? And I this don't is, know. I've never is, experienced anything like it. And this is like musical theater. Musical like not theater. the, like not everyone's on team musical theater, you know? No. They are and certainly not. Yeah. I'm not on team musical theater, but it, suddenly I am. But like that's those numbers are crazy. It's crazy, and like and so when I'm doing it now, you know, like we're doing it in Winnipeg, and it was like it was just it was you know, I remember our first couple shows because we didn't know, like what we didn't know what it was. You know, we had read about it. Some of us had seen it in New York before, just to figure out what the fuck we were going to do. Mm-hmm. 
And then like the first couple audience, cause what happens at the end is people are like freaking out. People are like sobbing and shit. They're on their feet. Like, like, ah. <laughs> and so like, there was about a year when I was doing the show where that didn't affect me. I'd be like, Oh yeah, this is the part where the audience freaks out and stands. I go out and play my little bass solo. And then like, I keep, do you know how fucking entitled that is? Like that's, it's just like, I look back and then I'm like, you idiot. Like you have this opportunity and you're taking it for granted because you're bored. Are you out of your goddamn mind? So right now I try and get to the end when we do it. I really try and put myself in the energy that we had in Winnipeg. We're just like, these people are like, they're having like this crazy experience. And I understand why it's really good. It doesn't affect, like I was like sobbing, like the first probably 75 shows I did by the end, like the band would come out and we're just like, like it's crazy. (laughs) Right. It's like a whole phenomenon. And, um, so I'm trying to get back into that emotional place. I'm just like, wait a second, this is cool. You know, these people haven't ever seen this before. They came to see Come From Way. They didn't come to see a bunch of tired, you know. They came to see fucking Come So we like we owe it to them and to the whole thing to just like, I owe it to get my fucking shit together and play my best show. Yeah. And so that's where I'm at now. And because I'm like, I always have like, you might be able to tell I'm a little bit jacked all the time. Because um, I have this energy especially the last couple of months, like we had a hiatus and I came back and I'm just like, let's fucking do this. Like, let's do this until we can't do it anymore. So even after that many shows uh, and you take a hiatus, what's it like coming back to the first show? It was weird. Everything felt like a little bit to the left, you know, like just nothing felt quite right. But then we were right back in it. I mean, we've all done it for so many, t- like we've yeah. got all the, the actors and then all our standbys who all, they're fucking crazy. Each of them knows four roles and they can go on at the drop of a hat to cover any of those four roles, which is insane. The standbys know the show better than anybody. I'm sorry if anybody's listening to the show who's in the cast who's not a standby. <laughs> I think we'll agree the standbys know the show better from anybody because they know it from four different places. That's none, wild. Yeah, none of us can do that. So what's considered a role? Like, are so you there's, a role also? No, well, I'm, no, I'm a musician, but I'm on stage and I'm, but I'm not, I don't have any lines. So the roles are like, there's 12 actors on stage, six male, six female. Those are the primary roles. And if they go out and they do, they get sick or they just don't want to come in and do it or people get injured or they go on vacations. We've got the team of six standbys. And the standbys, each of them know what's called four tracks. And so when they go on for a track, they, they do all those vocal parts and they stand like, and like, if you see it, it's the level of precision is terrifying. And they just go on and they do it. They go yeah. and they blah, 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 and they're seamless. They're crazy. Our right. standbys, which is crazy. But I also thought you were implying that there are people that know like the four, like four different musical. Positions. Well, we do have two super subs who know two of the books. So we have uh, Bob McAlpine and Justin Abaddon both know guitar one and guitar two. And I've been joking with Justin since he knows the conduct because he plays bass that he should learn the bass book because he knows the conduct. Like he'd right. be able to follow it yeah you know but those are like kind of our our super subs is those two that's cool yeah and they know and the thing with guitar one and guitar two is so when justin goes on for guitar one the the choreo on stage bits are different than guitar two and so it's like he might be standing like five feet to the left of where he was before because no 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 you're guitar two today so guitar two gets on the chair over there or guitar one's got to be over there 
he sits on the chair and you know what i mean so it's like those guys are nuts so you guys are moving with the show yes so luckily the bass part for the big on stage thing in the middle i don't come on because it would be too crowded but i come on at the end but for everybody else in the band except me and drums there's a number that takes place in the bar in newfoundland in in gander where all of a sudden the band like because we're in the stage is trees mm-hmm. we literally come out of the trees and like are on stage and there's all this choreo and standing on chairs and shit and like jumping off of them and then they go back into the trees and we play the rest of the show so we're always on stage in the trees and then we duck in and out and it's like it's a whole thing so i haven't seen many shows is this unusual usually there's a pit yeah there's no pit we're playing we're playing in the wings and on side stage huh yeah so we're all in costume it's a whole thing. That's the costume cool. is so you're like more, way more part of the show than yeah. Which is why it's why I'm saying it's like like the best one because I don't like being in the pit. I don't like being detached from it. It's cool in that you're not exposed, but the downside is like usually if you're playing in a pit, you got like ten minutes where you're not doing anything. You just right. and to me that's when like the real the demons start to get you. Whereas like in this show, it's like it starts and it's like getting launched out of a cannon and you're playing. I have one break of about two minutes where. It, if I drink a tea before the show or with all this coffee, I'm probably going to, oh shit, I'm probably going to have to go to it actually. Um, I have to pee in the middle of the show and then so I'll run off stage, run to the bathroom and then I'll come back on and then play the rest of the show and get off. But yeah, it's all, all in, I wear camouflage pants and a Jeep shirt and uh, a pair of Chuck Taylors. Sweet. That's cool. You mostly use Canadian gear, right? As much as I can. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you say like, I got that shy boy. I'm using yeah. a bass bone. I got trainer amps. Um, that's super cool it's well there's a lot of good shit man the trainer stuff like i think the trainer small block stuff is excellent i really Mm do um i think the radial shit is amazing it's built like a tank like the tone bone is i think it's a great piece of gear and then brad at shy boy like man like the price i paid for that base if i was to have bought a fender of equal quality to that i would have had to spend double and I don't think it would have been as cool an instrument. Um, so yeah. Like That's the fretless. That you're the fretless. Yeah. It's um, like custom made instrument. Exactly what I wanted. Shit, man. Sweet. Did, how much do they buy and make? And like, do they order parts from places? Do you know? Or do they just straight up cut everything? And no, like the necks, the neck is like an all parts neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but I think he's cutting the cutting and finishing the body The he might be winding his own pickups. Um, but it's also just assembled with with love. They had a jazz bass there that somebody had ordered and didn't buy. It was going for like 1300 bucks. If they still got it there and you're looking for like a 60 spacing jazz bass, this one is fucked. Mm. Really I've, good. And it's like 1300 bucks. Yeah. For like this thing with it's got a vibe, you know. Yeah. I've got my I've got my jazz bass. Okay. I've got my life jazz bass. Okay. I uh, understand. But I'm looking for I was looking for stuff. Yeah. You know. Well, the shop is a queen in like uh Tecumseh-ish area, I believe. Yeah. Uh, near yeah. where Jimmy's Coffee was yeah, yeah. and now it's something else yeah so yeah Brad's a funny dude man he's really good at what he does that's cool how much time do you I do? should actually get going because cool. I gotta go and eat dinner and then show yeah I don't know I guess that's it that's it yeah well thank you for listening if you've been listening and if you haven't been listening you won't hear this thank you so go fuck yourself yeah <laughs> exactly nailed it uh